Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. We're so grateful that you tuned in today as we just hope that you and it just all will join Martha and I in transforming your workplace into a mission field. That's right, you know, and Jim, that it's so important for us as we talk with our um, with our guests and with our listeners that they're thinking about this Monday and really have it, trying to have a different approach to it. Um, I've just been really convicted about. Um, being intentional in what I think every day and so thankful for um, Monday being a day to start fresh. I want to remind our listeners too that last week we launched a brand new podcast. So it is called the I Work For Him Power Pod. And listeners, this is an opportunity for you to hear in just 15 minutes some highlights from shows that we have done on our hour-long radio show. And you can get those right um, pushed to you from your favorite podcast platform every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So make sure you go out and subscribe. Uh, We are on several different places, including Charisma Podcast Network. And um, you can find those on our website at iworkforhim.com, iworkforhim.com. And that's the I Work For Him Power Pod on Mm -hmm. all the latest and greatest platforms. (laughs) And everything can always be found on iworkforhim.com. Always. If you ever have any questions about where we are, iworkforhim.com. You know, today we head out to Chicago, Illinois to have a conversation with a world-renowned social media expert, Perry Marshall. He's undeniably one of the world's most expensive consultants, and he's worth it. He'll tell you so. (laughs) Daily, he produces blogs speaking truth into the marketplace and beyond. He has a passion for business and for creation. Perry Marshall, welcome to I Work For Him. Glad to be here. It's an honor to be on your show. Um, One one of my friends here in Chicago said, oh, you got it. You got to talk to Brangenberg. So here we are. And I'm honored. <laughs> well, we love Thank the Faith Marketplace Radio with uh, just really with Bob and Jennifer, just great, great, great people. So, Perry, how, what's your Jesus story? Well, I grew up a, a pastor's kid. Um, and so I, I was immersed in it. But I, I do remember when I was four, I, you know, at that. In that environment, you hear this stuff all the time, but I remember mm-hmm. walking out of my front yard to the corner of the yard. I was standing on the grass. It was probably 10 o'clock at night, and I looked up in the, in the sky, and I saw the stars, and I thought, oh, that guy they're talking about made all that. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, wow. Like I, I think I remembered something my Sunday school teacher said. And, uh, you know, people don't actually ask me this very, very often, but that is, that is my first memory of a connection with God. So I guess maybe it's not surprising that I'm interested in where did it all come from. Mm, because that's what resonated in your heart was looking at creation and realizing that there, the God that created it all. So that's a that's a really neat connection there. So fast forward, you said you know you made that connection um, in your heart as a little boy um, to Him being the Lord. How did you or at what 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 led you to understand that maybe there was a connection with your faith in all of your life, including your work, especially being a pastor's kid? I'm sure you heard a lot from the pulpit about being called to be a pastor, being called to be a missionary, but did you understand a connection of being called to the marketplace? Well, I I had an uncle who was in missions, and I had a 
another uncle who's in missions, and I had a mm-hmm. grandpa who was a preacher. And so, like, I just came from a whole family of them. But w- where I grew up, there was this insinuation. I don't know that it was explicitly stated, but it was always sort of implied that, you know, if you've got a real calling in life, you're going to be in the ministry. Yeah. Um, and then everybody else could kind of do the second-class jobs if they didn't. Now, they never said this, but it always felt that way. Mm-hmm. I never, ever felt called to be in the church. I always felt like um, the, the church was full, full of poodles, and I need to be with the wolverines. Like, the, you know, poodles get fed their their water, and they, they sit on the couch, and they watch Seinfeld reruns with the kids, and, and you know, they, they, they get their food bowl, and they, they bark at the birds outside the patio window, uh, and, and the wolverines roam wild and free, and they eat what they kill, and I was just more comfortable in the highly competitive business world where... You know, the funny thing about ministry is it's just as competitive as business, and there's just as many contests of, like, who's the greatest. It's just that in the ministry world, they pretend not to be preoccupied with that, and in the business world, they're up front about the fact that they're preoccupied with that. But isn't it, you know, but isn't it true? I mean, you, you, you made a couple of statements that I just want to make sure I challenge on. Okay, but just because you're not working in the church doesn't mean you're not part of the church, right? I mean, because the church is really the body oh, well, of Christ at large, right? Well, well sure. I mean, I mean professional ministry. I mean, right. like, you know, wearing the cloth and having the collar and, you know, all of that. Um, okay, okay, it, but just, that's... I was just going to challenge yeah. you. Okay, but but aren't you, as one of the world's most expensive marketing and social media consultants, aren't you in the ministry? Aren't you a ministry professional? Aren't you ministering to people out there in the marketplace each and every day? Well, of course I am, and that's exactly the point, is that mm-hmm. I, I, I had to come to a realization that, well, well think of it like this, um, a, a pastor directly influences people two hours a week. Mm -hmm. A CEO directly influences people 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. So which is the bigger ministry opportunity? Mm -hmm. And which is the opportunity to build a more sustained culture? Um, So I think entrepreneurs and CEOs are a enormously strategic group of people. They are disproportionately influential. They shape everything. They shape the workplaces that people go to. They, they shape the, the, the businesses that people patronize. They shape the experiences that people have at those businesses. And so um, I, I love what I do. And um, I, I get a chance to uh, express the culture of heaven every day, everywhere I go. Um, I may say what I'm doing, but I <laughs> usually don't have to. It's not necessary. Um, and, and so, yeah, I just, I think there's this false dichotomy and it's everywhere. I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm telling you a new idea, um, but that like that division, like I think most people, 
um, feel like there's some kind of a tension between these two worlds, and there's just not. So if you are feeling, I'm curious, this, um, this, you know, idea that, okay, the church is full of poodles and I'm like a Wolverine, but yet you didn't, (laughs) you didn't rebel. You actually embraced what God had created you to do. Can you speak about that for a minute? Well, all, all pastor's kids are rebellious. Um, (laughs) I've hardly met one that isn't. Okay. (laughs) Um, you know, they're, they're cantankerous creatures and they, they have this funny way of kind of crashing through the pinball machine of life. Um, and um, so I, 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 did, I didn't have like some big uh, rebellious streak, but, uh, but I did, um, you know, pretty early on, I was doing entrepreneurial things. And, um, and, and I, like, I needed to take as big a bite out of life Hmm. as I could. And, and so, um, but, but one of the things, one of the other things about entrepreneurs is they take a lot of risk and endure a lot of pressure and sweat, a lot of bullets. And I think the entrepreneur journey is absolutely a faith journey. Whether people believe in God or not, you are always um, you are always creating something that has never existed before <laughs> or stepping out on a ledge where you have no way of guaranteeing that there's going to be anything under your feet. And a lot of us go splat and we go splat repeatedly and we all hit bottom. Um, and I, I find that, that entrepreneurs and business people are generally more receptive to spiritual things than most people because we live on the edge. Mm-hmm. I love that. Hey, we have a privilege today of talking with Perry Marshall, one of the world's most expensive consultants. You can check him out online, perrymarshall.com, perrymarshall.com. Perry Marshall, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you for having me. We're having fun today. All right, so let's talk about this. Social media. I mean, it's it's your playing field. It is it's it's the baseball diamond of your life mm-hmm. and you are the owner because you I mean, you as you brag about on your website, it's hilarious. I love it. You're the one of the world's most expensive consultants in this area. How did social media, the playing field of really the bastion of the enemy become your playing field and how do you help people play there? So I, I know a church that's raising a hundred million dollars for a capital campaign, and uh, I could be wrong, but I don't know that there's a big item in that budget for media expense. And I'm an advertising guy. Um, you can buy eyeballs. I'm I'm specifically a paid social media expert. Uh, most people think of the free stuff and the viral stuff, but I'm talking about the ability to, to put down money and get in front of eyeballs. And this is an area where kingdom people are woefully light years behind. I'll, now, I'll, I'll give you an example of somebody who is on, on the cutting edge. Um, i got a friend named Marilyn Adamson. She runs a site called everystudent.com. They do a ton of Google advertising and they have they spend about one and a half million dollars a year on advertising. Their site shares the gospel 
And for every $5 they spend, somebody fills in a form and says, I just received Christ or recommitted. Wow. Okay, so let me ask you a question. If you had a magic gumball machine, and every time you put $5 in the gumball machine and twisted the crank, a new Christian came out, how many, how many dollars would you put in it? As many as I had. Well, that's incredible. How come, how come they? How come they've only got a million or two million dollars in this thing instead of a hundred or two hundred million? Because <laughs> we're building. And buildings. I'm not you criticizing. Just that, you just said the church is building a hundred million dollar building. I mean, did that yeah. not in the New Testament build a hundred million dollar building? Why don't you call that church and say, "Listen, I got a way for you to get more <laughs> believers at five bucks a pop." <laughs> Well, I, I haven't been successful in convincing him, but this is what I'm talking about. I start a project like this, kind of like every student, in 2002, and I started buying Google Clicks, and, and it was very similar. It was a, a website called coffeehousetheology.com. Uh, there's another site, evo2.org, that, that deals with the science side, but I... I figured out I could get people on an email sequence that shares the gospel, and it would cost me about 50 cents a person. And I learned a lot by doing that. Eventually, those mailing lists swelled to a quarter of a million people, hmm. and, um, and it led to some projects that I'm working on now. Um, and Christians are overwhelmingly behind in this kind of conversation um, because see I don't look I don't look at the internet as this thing that belongs to the dark side I look at the internet as something that's available to everybody and there's all kinds of areas of culture where Christians don't have a voice because they've abdicated it mm. because they're being poodles instead of Wolverines. <laughs> Okay, Jesus was not a poodle. Yeah, Jesus was a ferocious guy. Okay, he he terrified those guys. That's why they crucified him. They were scared to death. What is this guy going to do to our happy little party in our good old boys club here? Right. <laughs> our he power was structure, destroying yeah. it. Right? right, and this is what Christians need to be doing and whether they're doing it in the marketplace or doing it in ministry we need to be smart about media well and we need to be looking at the marketplace as the largest ministry place in the world because we we keep just as as you just said whether we do it in the marketplace or in ministry we need to combine those because we need to be doing it in the marketplace ministry because 65 or 70 percent of the population is never going to a four walls church yet they're exposed to the body of christ each and every day so turn that idea then perry marshall into take that idea of somebody spending five dollars and every five dollar person somebody's actually leading themselves or getting led to christ through through a conversation turn that idea into connecting our faith and our work because this is a conversation where we've been on the air for six and a half years you talk with bob and jennifer out of out of chicago they've been on the air for multiple years as well there's another guy in dc that's on saturdays as well i mean but but the there's 50 million christians that are out there in the workplace today 
How do we get the message to all of them that their work matters to God? What's the what's the ca- what's the capital campaign we need to have there to get that message into their hands? Because too many Christians grew up just like you and me and Martha, being told that first class citizens, pastor, missionary; second class citizens, everybody else, support first class citizens. That's where we, we all grew when, up. When I got into my twenties and I started encountering entrepreneurial people. And I, and, you know, I started, I started hearing the sales pitches about, you know, own your own business and be your own boss and all of that. (laughs) And it it really appealed to me, but I had to, I had to spend a long time processing that because what I had been taught was to be an obedient worker bee. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I had been taught to have a healthy skepticism and even disdain for many okay Uh, like no no you be careful like don't you don't you go chasing money because you know those who chase money have been pierced with many a pang and of course they can quote all kinds of scriptures about that and but i i i had to think this through and i thought okay so my life is the parable of the talents right now every day and I'm, I'm 20 years old, and in, and in 30 years, I'm going to be 50 years old. And if I'm not careful, I am going to end up chained to some job that I hate because they have health insurance or some similarly stupid reason. And I remember thinking, okay, if I can go be successful in business, if I can earn some of my time back, if I can earn some of my freedom, then I can do what's actually important to me. I could mm-hmm. do kingdom work or I could pursue a passion or whatever it is that I felt led to do. And I became terrified of being stuck in the hamster wheel of a traditional career. Well, so I had to overcome the education that I got of you know just being the um, being the submissive, good quality worker. I've, I've told entrepreneurs many times, actually, if, if you want to hire an employee who will say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, not steal anything, come in early, leave late, um, uh, never hurt you, and, and never, never start a business that goes and competes with you, hire a Missouri Synod Lutheran, an evangelical Christian, or a Mormon, and you will get that guy. And see, I was taught to be a poodle and not taught to be the wolverine. And I really think when you read the, the story of the parable of the talents, when you get to the guy who buried his talent, he said, well, you're such a careful, fearsome master. I was afraid I would lose all your money. So I buried it. So here you go. You got what you gave me. And the guy is mad. Okay. Now, even though we, we know that story and we hear that story, this is exactly what most Christians do. Most Christians do not try to be exceptionally successful. They do not try to be excessively influential. They do not try to be disproportionately powerful. Okay? They just obey what everybody tells them to do, and they become unwitting participants in highly corrupt systems in which they have no voice. And then you wonder why everybody's angry and why everybody thinks Donald Trump is going to save us or somebody else is going to save us because 
Well, Trump, whatever you think about Trump, at least he's a Wolverine. I mean, we could at least agree on that. Okay. And, 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 and Christians abdicate their power and their responsibility because they are not, they are not trying to, like, Christians are not getting jobs in science. Christians are not being entrepreneurs. Christians are not running secular universities. They, they retreat into comfortable little kumbaya zones where all the poodles hold hands and sing songs together instead of being wolverines. But, but it's okay. But we have to be careful with the absolutes because we on this show in the last six and a half years have interviewed people that are influential in all those areas. You said there's just not most Christians, the large majority of Christians are not pushing the envelope oh, right. to, to be influencers yeah. in the seven mountains of cultural influence or however you want to break it up in this country. But we need to be challenged that way. But again, that goes back to the equipping that they get on a Sunday morning. So, Perry, talk to our listeners. You know, maybe they have a fire burning in them, but they've never felt like they had permission to do anything about it and to kind of break out and say, you know what, God created me for something very special, but I'm not doing it. Um, and they can make an impact on the kingdom in, in whatever that area is. Talk to our listeners and, and give them some, maybe a couple of ideas or steps that they could take to, to start seeking what God really wants them to be doing. So I'm giving you permission now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And here's a, here's a verse for you. Here's a scripture. Isaiah 45, 1 to 3. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, or substitute, like stick your name in there, whose right hand I have taken hold of to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armor, to open wide the double doors that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you. I will level the mountains. I will smash the gates of bronze. I will cut the iron bars, and I will give to you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Now, most Christians, when they, when they get an inspiration or they get an idea or they get swept away by, oh, you know, we could do this or we could do that. What I was taught to do was, boy, boy, you got to second guess that thing. I don't know. That's, that might not be from God. That might just that might just be filthy lucre tempting you, and, and like people, they tell you this kind of stuff, and it just holds you down. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like the the irony is the guy that tells you that is actually powerful and influential. He's just threatened by your independence, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to be challenged. We've got all kinds of churches that. They don't want people with ideas. They don't want people with initiative. Um, I have been part of three churches in my life that have had catastrophic leadership failures. And in all three cases, it was the inability of the elders or the leadership to rein in a charismatic leader that everybody else was obeying. Mm. Okay, so... You got a lot of, I mean, the artwork room listeners span the, you know, the 
way different, many different parts of the organizational chart. You know, from from the beginning, from a starting job at the bottom of the totem pole to the top. Yet God doesn't rank any of them in the kingdom that way. He looks at all those jobs as significant, whether they are the janitor, the 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 bathroom cleaner, all the way up to the CEO. Somebody might be selling used cars in a parking lot. They might be an attorney, criminal, a criminal law attorney, a criminal defense attorney, which we've interviewed a couple of them because they said that Jesus was a criminal defense attorney. So everybody in between, <laughs> what is the what is the most significant? I know I like that. I'd love to be able to go down a rabbit hole with you on that one, but I don't, I don't want to yet today. Tell me, what's the one thing you see Christ followers that are out there that really love Jesus and they really want, you see them out there in the marketplace, lots of different levels within an organization. What's the biggest thing you see them struggling with today? So in the story of Gideon, Gideon is, if you read it carefully, it's like he is the lowliest guy in the smallest family in the most insignificant clan. Um, and he's like, so are you sure about this guy? Like, you really, you really want me to do this? Like, that's what that fleece thing was, mm-hmm. right? And then I also think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and the whole story of Daniel, where these are the, are the sharp, they're, they're anointed by God, and because of the wisdom that God gives them, they are, they are the sharpest guys in Babylon, and I think, I think the biggest challenge is Christians not owning their authority. Not, and I don't just mean their spiritual kingdom authority. I do mean that. But I also mean their giftedness, their job, their scope of responsibility. Um, what, Christians need to be leaders. If you, if you read the scriptures, you see story after story after story after story of insignificant janitor-like people. You can think of Gideon as a janitor. Hmm. Okay, he's over in the corner with his little threshing floor doing, like, I think he was, like, illegally grinding corn or something because they were under the thumb of some oppressive ruler somewhere. Yeah, the and, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Okay, it, the story after story after story in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is these insignificant people rising to prominence, but also the disciples. Okay, all these fishermen, they became some of the most influential people in the history of the world. The, so my message is go big, shoulder more responsibility, do more. Now, I've got a friend I've got a friend who um, is, he decided that he wanted to run for president, and I don't think it's actually going to happen this term, uh, maybe next time around, but when he started telling people, I want to run for president, almost like there was a script in people's heads, all of his Christian friends will said to him, oh boy, what a strain that's going to put on your family. Well, of course, being the president of the United <laughs> States is going to put a strain on your family. Hello. Mm-hmm. So what? Christians aren't going to be president because it's going to put a strain on their family. Is that what you're telling me? Like, this is how people think. And he told me, he goes, 
He goes, it just astounded me how many people said that to me as though it was some script just floating around in the air and their brain just grabbed onto it as soon as I told him I was going to run. Like, and and really, what the they were do- they thing. were doing is squelching that in, instead of celebrating that God maybe had called him to that role. Isn't that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Because if he'd said, you know what, I think I'm going to volunteer for the parking team on Sunday mornings, <laughs> nobody would object. Okay, <laughs> they wouldn't give any reason why. No offense to the parking the team park. members listening to the show today. That's right. We appreciate them. <laughs> Well, we, I do appreciate you, but you know what? If, if you're on the parking team, I, I bet there's a bigger responsibility in the kingdom that you could do than that. Yep. I bet there is, you know, and <laughs> don't play a small game. Play a mm. big game. People will respect you. People respect money. People respect power. Why does absolute power corrupt absolutely? Because there's no kingdom in that power. Right. So how but was, you know, can I just, one more thing? Go when, ahead. When they called Daniel, when, when, when they called Daniel and said, what is that writing on the wall? If you can tell us what that writing on the wall is, we'll give you like all this riches and a third of the kingdom. You know what he said? Keep your trinkets. I'm going to tell you what that means. Like he was indifferent to it. He was being offered absolute power, and it didn't affect him at all because he was a man of God. Mm-hmm. That is what I am talking about. You need to be Daniel, not the parking. I'm not insulting the parking people, but I know if you're, if you're on the parking team, you can do something bigger than that, and you should, and any real leader wants you to. You can always find more people to do parking. We need presidents. We need congressmen. We need university professors. We need intellectuals. We need thinkers. We need entrepreneurs badly. Mm-hmm. Amen. I hope our listeners are hearing that, and maybe it's stirring up something inside of somebody today, Jim. And you, if you want to hear more from Perry Marshall, I mean, he, he's got so much information out there. Just got a passion and heart. Check him out online, perrymarshall.com, perrymarshall.com. Have you ever thought, wow, is there any hope left for Chicago? Absolutely, perrymarshall.com. Perry, have you ever thought about running for mayor of Chicago to try to straighten it up? Uh, my My domain is not politics. Um, I have some very, very specific things that I am working on. One of them is the Evolution 2.0 project. You can, uh, on Amazon, there's a book called Evolution 2.0. You know, there are people that are called to politics. I am not one of them. But, you know, you guys talk about the seven mountains. Mm -hmm. So, okay, think about the mountains, but think about, I want you to just like um, imagine that you have a hammer and you have a spike and your spike is like 12 miles long and you're going to, you're going to point that spike at some particular part in the foundation of that mountain and you're going to drive that spike in and you're going to crack it. And it's like, it's like in the world, there is a crack in the sidewalk with your name in it. And if you, if you drive your spike deep enough into that crack, you will shift something very foundational in the world, which changes that mountain forever. 
Mm. Okay, and, and, and that is what I am doing. And th- that's, that's how you should do it. Don't think of it like, I'm going to be the king of an entire mountain. Think of it like, um, I'm going to be a big fish in a little pond, and I'm going to pick the pond very, very strategically to match my gifting, my inclination, my talent, my background, my surroundings. And, and I have a holy discontent. There is something in the world that there's a problem that needs to be fixed, and it's got my name on it. Mm-hmm. And you assiduously focus on that problem. And you can't solve everything. The worst thing you can do is, like, try to solve all the problems. You'll solve mm-hmm. none of the problems. Solve you know, as, as one kids, we... problem. As kids, we all played King of the Mountain, and you just made such a great analogy because instead of trying to, to fight for the top of the mountain to really, I, I the word that came to my mind, that spike that you drive in is really being a disruptor for the kingdom, you know, saying, what can yeah. I do in this sphere of influence um, that can really, you know, kind of shake things up a little bit for the kingdom and really make an impact. Um, so I, I love that analogy because you know me, I'm, I'm just, all about that picture. Yeah, but so. did you ever play King of the Mountain? Were you ever at the top? Because I threw people oh, off no, the top I was, of the mountain I'm all the time. I was very little, so I never won the game. <laughs> I was, was never great, on the top. Once I got muscles, that was a great show. <laughs> Perry, right before the break, I talked about the unfair advantage that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Gideon, so many biblical heroes had that you and I have that same unfair advantage today in the marketplace, in our workplaces. That unfair advantage is the spirit of the living God that allows us to be powerful and influential in our positions. Isn't that really what you were hinting at with Daniel and, and, and Gideon? Yeah, and there are two parts to that. One of them is wisdom, and the other is prophecy. And, um, and, and what I mean by prophecy is people who actually hear God in some discernible way. So... One, let me tell you, like, the, the biggest thing that ever happened in my entire career, um, I, was, uh, I was reading a, a book about the 80-20 principle, and I had this epiphany, and I thought, hey, wait a minute, this is a math formula. How would you figure this out? And then um, earlier that week, I had done something in my business that made a bunch of money, and I was thinking, how could I use my business to help these kids in Mozambique. And I was obsessing about a math problem in Mozambique. And I went to church and they were playing this music on a Friday night. And this, I looked up and this black woman is making a beeline for me. I've never seen her in my life. She goes, hi, my name is Vivian. The Lord gave me a word for you. I've never had this happen in my life. I'm like, whoa, this should be interesting. She says, the Lord told me that you were very, very good at math and you're working some kind of equation, some kind of formula, some kind of invention, and you're mm-hmm. going to figure it out. And I just stared at her like, how many people in this room are working on a math problem right now? And then she, she, she says, oh, and he told me something else too. You want to support missions and God is going to bless your business so you can support missions. And I stared at her with my mouth open and I said, if only you knew. And she goes, he knows. And she just walked away. Wow. Well, 
So three years later, I figured out the math formula, and it's the backbone of my book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing. It got published in Harvard Business Review Italy last year. Um, NASA uses it at Jet Propulsion Labs in one of their productivity workshops. And, um, and it, about six months after I had that conversation, my business started taking off. And it was because I was teaching Google advertising, which, um, which started with an email I had gotten three days before that. And my business did take off, and I was able to support missions. Now, that is what I call a prophetic word. God talked to her. Now, I became friends with her much, 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 much later. I, I found her. And she said she was having an argument with God when she was there. Like, I don't want to talk to this guy. I don't go to this church. I don't know who this guy is. And he's like, no, you talk to you. you, you. And so she went wow. and she did it. It completely changed changed uh, her life and my life. And, and a lot of times, as Christians, we know things and we don't know why we know them. Mm-hmm. And it's because the Spirit is telling us that. And, and the, I think the highest skill that you can cultivate is the discernment to start to pick up, hey, I think that was a memo from the head office. I think I better go act on that. And when you do, the Holy Spirit will start doing more and more through you. Just that first step of obedience. Okay, so let's just let's just dream for a minute. This is the last question I have for you for the show. Christians, as you stated, really, there's no reason why in this country we shouldn't be the number one influencers in this country. We we founded this country. It's what it was founded on the fact that people want to live out their faith in freedom. That's why we came here. That's why we settled this country. And yet we've abdicated. That's the word that I like to use. We've abdicated the the major points of influence in this country. Yet we have the ability, if we're willing to be obedient, uh, and because we have the unfair advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit behind us, to regain that influence. How would you do it? If you could have that same $100 million that that church is trying to raise in order to build a building, if you had that same $100 million, could we gain some influence in this country? For Christ? So you, don't, you don't need half the people. You don't need a quarter of the people. You don't need 10% of the people. The 80-20 rule says you only need 1% to be absolutely determined, and you will get the result that you want. Uh, the 80-20 principle says that 1% of people affects 50% of what goes on. And this is why I'm talking about being influential. I think, I think the key is concentrated focus, prophecy, and prayer. I think those are the levers. That is the like 12 mile long narrow spike that goes into the center of the mountain and shifts the foundation, disrupts the market, disrupts the situation. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, four guys. We don't know the names of hardly anybody else in the Babylonian empire, but we know those guys. Mm -hmm. You do it the same way Daniel did. And say those three things again. You said concentrated focus. Concentrated focus, prophecy, and prayer. Prophecy and prayer. 
So with the years that you have left, here you got 35 seconds to answer this question. With the years you have left, how do you plan on using concentrated focus, prophecy, and prayer to use the talents that God has given Perry Marshall to impact this country for the kingdom? I am bringing those skills into entrepreneurship and science, and I am bringing the three together. I'm bringing the Holy Spirit entrepreneurship and science together as those are the those are the three the three weapons the three powers and that's that is what i am doing for the rest of my life if you want to find out more about perry marshall check him out online perrymarshall.com perrymarshall.com a conversation easily we could have had for several more hours but perry we appreciate your time appreciate the 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 detail and the effort you really have everybody if you're interested in science at all and god's got you leaning that way you need to read his book evolution 2.0 and find out about the contest he's often out there but perry marshall thank you so much for being an i work for him today for sharing your story and and for living out your faith in the marketplace in a really influential spot perry marshall perry marshall thank you for being on i work for him Mm Thank you both. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you. Awesome. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit IWorkForHim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at I Work For Him to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at I Work For Him and online, IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com.